You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 5, The Bells. Another edition of Next Best Series, part of the Next Best Picture podcast, where we talk about television. And this week, we are discussing Game of Thrones, Season 8, Episode 5, titled The Bells. This episode was directed by Miguel Sapochnik, written by David Benioff, D.B. Weiss. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me this week for this episode review, I have Will Mavity. Hello. Dan Bayer. I drink and I know things. Cody Derricks. Hi. And Celia Shalekaway. What's good? Well, I'll tell you what's not good. King's Landing. They are not having a good week. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. In the lead up to tonight's uh, episode, episode three of the final season of Game of Thrones got the most publicity uh, preseason from cast, crew, all the interviews, the marketing materials, everything. And kind of like how they hid hard home from us in season five, they were hiding this episode from us uh, because this was, you know, Amelia Clark said it was bigger than episode three. And I'm almost inclined to somewhat agree that the scale and the enormity of this episode was absolutely massive. However, from a storytelling standpoint, there were once again, as per the usual for season eight, some questionable decisions made throughout, some of which we are definitely going to go into detail with here on this special Patreon podcast review. Uh, I want to just address one thing first uh, very quickly before we start, and that is uh, for this episode, uh, just due to we've gotten some feedback about the length of the show. Uh, from now on, uh, for these final two episodes, because I'm sure there will be so much content to cover, I want to make sure everybody here on the podcast gets a chance to talk and talk openly and freely about all the different uh, bullet points of the episode as much as humanly possible. Um, I'm not going to be doing my detailed scene-by-scene recap. Instead, uh, I'll be basically just breaking uh, certain moments down uh, in chronological order, and we'll just freely and openly express our thoughts so speaking of expressing our thoughts, let's pass it off to Will first. Let's kick it off with just general thoughts. Will, general thoughts about The Bells. Um, one of the best directed episodes of the show and one of the worst written. Oh, okay. Good summary. Uh, Celia, what about you? Um, I really loved this episode in a vacuum, and I think it was really great in the context of the fact that it's the end of the series. I don't think it's great in the context of what has happened so far this season and over the arc of at least the last half of the show. Okay. Dan Bayer. I watching this, I knew right away that this was not going to be one of the most loved episodes of this show because it was taking a decidedly darker turn than I think a lot of people 
would have wanted. Kind of harkens back to that darkness of uh, season five where yeah. a lot of the fandom got pissed off. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the darkness of things like Ned's beheading and the Red Wedding and how empty the ma- those made book readers feel when they first read them. But that's a point for later in this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, I think the, I agree with Will, the direction was stunning. And... I if this episode isn't the Emmy submission for both Amelia Clark and uh, Lena Headey, I'll be shocked. Well, I I think Lena Headey by default, but we do have one episode left for Amelia. So with that said, though, Cody Derricks, your last up general thoughts on the bells. I agree with everything that Will said. It was like very well directed. I mean, the filmmaking is undeniable. I was. Just on a visceral level, as somebody who watches a lot of TV and movies, was that enjoyable? Yes. Was that like was it well made and fun to watch in that respect? Yes. Storytelling wise, was I extremely frustrated for like seventy five percent of the episode? Absolutely. Uh, my general thoughts on this episode is that I don't think this is one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. However, I'm actually overall positive on this episode. I've watched it twice. I've given it a lot of thought. A lot of thought. And I do admit that there are writing mistakes in this episode, as there have been throughout this entire season. And there was one, maybe two, in this episode that really pissed me off. It's not enough to ruin my love for the show or my love for uh, even the season as a whole, which, yeah, at this rate, is probably going to be the worst season of Game of Thrones. Uh, But... Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, like uh, Celia said, in a vacuum, I really, really enjoyed it. I I still appreciate the fact that Game of Thrones can make me feel things uh, when I watch it. And when I say feel things, I'm not just talking hoorah, go get them type of moments. I mean, actual shaking horror, which is what I felt when this episode was over. I was literally shaking uh, with my hands uh, uh, like around my mouth, my eyes wide open and just absolutely shook by what transpired in this episode. Uh, Let's get into the details. Uh, Let's go in chronological order now. Let's talk about uh, some of our feelings out in the open here. I want to start off with uh, two things. Uh, This is not something that... uh, This is something just really small, actually, but but I just want to acknowledge it. Uh, Before the episode even began, uh, once again, the uh, map has changed. It looks like it's changing uh, every single episode. This time there are scorpions on top of King's Landing, which was uh, pretty cool. And uh, on the previously on, I really loved that they had the Targaryen lines about madness and all the callbacks throughout the entire show played out over Amelia Clark's uh, face at the end of episode four, kind of setting us up for what was to come ultimately. I think it was pretty clear when they uh, laid all that out that this is something that's been heavily telegraphed and in my opinion something that George R. R. Martin uh, plans to do in the books as well but my issue with that is that we haven't really heard that in the show for a while it's like we I needed that in Dan I completely agree really yeah Yeah. well you know you know what someone pointed out uh, on Twitter I thought was great was saying foreshadowing is not the same thing as character development like yes there were some moments that were like wink wink nudge nudge she might she might have a little tendency towards excess and crazy but 
there was so much more to counteract of her being all about, I never want to harm the innocent. And so many moments that seem like they were now just fan service because they knew people liked her character of just like, you know, just building up. We love Daenerys. Daenerys is impeccable, et cetera, et cetera. Like, yes, those moments were there, but it doesn't mean that the narrative earned the place it took her to yet. And I think, I think that um, something that a lot of people say in the context of this show when it comes to like how much time is spent on character development is people will say, well, this show was built to subvert expectations. I think that there's a good way to do that, though, and a bad way to do it. A bad way to do it is to have no setup for anything and to just have characters do random stuff that contradicts any logic at all. A good way to do it is to provide two really good paths, but only show the audience one of them. And then when they go the other direction, you're like, wow, I'm silly for not thinking of that, but it does make sense. And I think without the setup that, you know, these short seasons have kind of robbed us of, it feels a lot more random than subversion. I'm going to I'm going to acknowledge that aspect of it because the turn worked for me. It worked for me as well. It worked for me because it was always in the back of my mind that this could happen, and they really leaned into it last season, mm-hmm. and they also obviously leaned into it this season. The only thing I disagree with, and this is something that I lay at the feet of David and Dan, is six fucking episodes in the yeah. final season. Yeah. You you literally had this all play out since the end of episode two when John reveals to Danny his true heir. And then you have uh, Jorah get taken away from her in episode three, half of our army, presumably. You have Miss Sande, you have uh, Ray Gall in episode four. Then you have other stuff get taken away from her in episode five. And it's like, I, I would I would have felt much, much better about all of this if it didn't just happen over such a condensed period of time. Yeah. yeah, and it, and it, it makes, felt like piling on to yeah. her, on her character like a lot, and like why is the like it felt like as a viewer, I'm like this is so unfair to her. Mm-hmm. I I will say that like it worked for me because there has always it it worked for me for a couple of things that like you know she has always been literally the only thing she was raised with was this notion that her family was meant to rule and that the people her family was meant to rule Westeros and that the people in Westeros killed her father. So this was always a possibility that she would just say fuck them all and burn it all to the ground. But I do agree that like this it felt like they were piling it this all on really, really quick. And I would frankly rather have had, you know, seven or eight episodes of the normal length as opposed to six of these supersized episodes, because I really felt that length tonight. And, um, and in last week's episode and the episode before as well, I think they easily could have trimmed these down and made them work as the typical length episodes. Right, because when it's six hour and a half episodes, you weirdly cover less ground, even though it's yes. more time per episode, because it's all around a unified, like, either theme or, or happening yes. per episode. Right. So you get an hour and a half battle. It's a, you know, 10 episodes hour long, stretching across an entire, you know, continent. I don't know about you guys, but like, while these two battle episodes were really cool to watch, I, I did not think 
that being longer necessarily made them better. They're both well-directed, but I thought um, the battle at Hardhome was, you know, not even half as long as the Battle of Winterfell, and I thought that was a more effective and scary uh, White Walker battle. And while this was an impressive bit of scale, this last episode with some really cool beats, it didn't need to be nearly as long as it was. I mean, that in itself... Uh, they they both could have been shorter. That's some time off. But also, they could have kept these episodes long and still had eight, still had ten. I mean, we've confirmed. No, they couldn't have done. They couldn't have done ten. The production schedule would have been pushed out been too expensive. much longer. Even eight, though. But eight, or even just one more episode. I, I agree. It should have been seven and seven. That's yeah. that's my call. Yeah, HBO offered them the money to do it. Because all you needed was you, you need just one episode length of time and and here's the scary thing too because if you add one more episode then you know i feel like in the writer's minds they see that as we need to introduce new plot points in this episode that then need to get resolved we need more shocking moments in this episode and it's like no all we needed was more we're not i'm not even saying they needed another episode all i'm saying is they needed more time to let this shit breathe a little bit more because instead what it feels like is it feels like we can't breathe and we're exhausted and they're just throwing this stuff at us. And here's the worst part. Cause Cody, I think I, you, you were uh, kind of alluding to this before. Um, there's something to be said for waiting, uh, you know, a week in between episodes for dramatic uh, resolution. Well, I'm, I'm just so confused because like, this is the same show that spent how many like how many minutes of screen time on the faceless training, <laughs> right? Like, like I, I feel like this whole I tweeted this today. Like this whole show is just one one big John Mulaney joke where he talks about how like you you've written a sign before, you know how big letters should be, and you start with a really big H in Happy Birthday, and then by the end you get by the time you get to the end, you realize you ran out of space. And it's like, I just, I don't understand the priorities. I don't understand why, why it's not longer. If they wanted to make a slower show, I'm sure they could have gotten, you know, I know that D and D don't really want to like stay writing it, but they could have, got other writers who would have probably been good (laughs) they've always they've always said the reason why they decided to do seven and eight the way that they did there's a couple of different things there's a couple of different things behind it but one of the things is seven and eight is where you start to really see i think the blockbuster mentality of the show really start to take over uh you start to see more epic set pieces you start to see the plot start to drive the story instead of the character. You start to see um, uh, the budget like really, really increase. It, it seems like with the ratings going up the way that it was, it seems like they were satisfying uh, a, a larger global audience instead of a niche fantasy audience or even that niche HBO audience. And the storytelling uh, called for this epic grand conclusion. But on top of that, you also then have a scenario where they feel that in order to maintain momentum, right? Because each season seemed to be upping the ante and each season seemed to be uh, upping the momentum of the storytelling. They need to uh, increase the pace. You know, we can't be moving slow at this point because we're getting to the end. And I think that when you view how slow 
the earlier seasons move and as the show moves to its conclusion you start to see the pace just increase and they equate that to well things are more exciting and things are more jam-packed and look at how much shocking and crazy stuff happens in a single episode now isn't that what you guys always wanted and it's like it's not so much that that's what we always wanted we just wanted a well-told story and we got it and i feel like this season and this is the thing that drives me crazy I guarantee you when David and Dan handed in the outline and they didn't start scripting the episodes and they just had the outline, I guarantee you on paper that outline looked amazing. But it's like somewhere between that outline then getting transformed into six individual scripts, um, just something just because everything that's happening here story beat wise makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that they're telling it that it just feels rushed and then we get this big moment in this like probably the defining moment for so many fans out there that have ever named their child Daenerys or Khaleesi have tattoos of her on our on their body this is a big big deal and if you can't earn this moment this is the sort of stuff that gets you labeled as a lost or a dexter yeah. Now, with that said, let's move into the show, uh, into the episode itself. Uh, let's start off with Varys. Uh, let's start off with the first couple of minutes of the episode. Let's talk about the end of Varys's character on Game of Thrones. Uh. <laughs> Yo, y'all thought getting rid of Littlefinger in season seven was bad. This made that look like a goddamn masterpiece as far as I was concerned. <laughs> yeah. I loved the getting rid of Littlefinger. I thought that was perfect. This was just like... Oh, come on, dude. You should have been like, I thought you were smarter than that. Exactly. <laughs> Loudly tell like someone like Jon Snow, who's obviously not going to get in on a betrayal and like loudly do it in a place in the middle of a beach where everyone can see you. Are you kidding me? Tyrion and Tyrion did see him. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, you know, I, the thing that it reminded me of him talking to John, it actually reminded me of season one of him talking to Ned. Yeah. And it's like he's essentially talking to the reincarnation of Ned Stark. He really is. And it's like, Varys, would Ned Stark ever decide to betray, you know, the current king? And it's like, no. Like, what? Well, I think that Varys could have probably sweet-talked Ned into, like, you would look around you, look at what this person's doing. You would be a better ruler. And... Part of that is because you don't want it. But John is, in some ways, not his father. And John, like, really doesn't fucking want it. Has never wanted it. I, like, take a shot every time John throughout the season says, I don't want the throne want and it. she is my queen. And last season, too. I mean, Jesus. Another thing I, I actually liked that I didn't catch on the first time. I only caught it on the rewatch. I did not put two and two together that Varys was actually actively trying to poison Daenerys. What? 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. So about that he, she's not eating and stuff. Yeah. So the little girl that is in the opening scene with Varys is actually the same little girl that's with him in the crypts in uh, the long night episode. And uh, she comes to him and says, she's not eating. And then he says, we'll try again at supper. And I took that as they're just simply trying oh. to feed her. And it's like, no, Varys has made the decision that he's going to get rid of Daenerys, essentially. That's this, a possibility. Yeah. This all feels dumb. Like, yeah. <laughs> looking, like, looking back on the episode as a whole, 
to me at least, and maybe this is like a bad opinion or whatever, but it feels so shoehorned in as a way to be like, Daenerys is evil now. Like, here's the here's the foreshadowing that that will make her turn later in the later in the episode seem you know sensical because right. earlier she did an evil thing. I didn't see it as evil though. Well, that's the thing that annoys me about Varys's decision here is that it's all based on what she might do. She hasn't done it yet, and he's already conspiring against her. I, I like. This is one of the things that pissed me off about the episode is, once again, like I said before, about the plot driving the story forward instead of character. The character of Varys is too smart for this, and all because Melisandre said in season seven that Varys had to die in this season. Well, David and Dan have to somehow right away for him to get there at some point, and the the, the story calls for it, so here we are. You know? It's just... Like, they might as well have just had him get eaten by a resuscitated uh, zombie in the crypts when he was down there. Exactly. That would have made that sequence better, and it wouldn't have done his character so dirty. I was really hoping I, that this would be the way for Daenerys's character to be kind of satiated and not, not do the paranoid action that she does at the end of the episode because I knew it was coming. But I and I really hope this would be the end of that paranoia. But instead, it was just part of the dog pile, as we mentioned before, of reasons that Benioff and Weiss are like, you know, have in uh, a, a bullet point as to why she went crazy. And well, it's I, interesting. I, I didn't point. see this as a whole like evidence that she's evil or going crazy. I mean, you look at her in, you know, when she gives the order, that is the least inspiring Dracarys she has ever uttered. But she I've also, take, I she takes as, no joy in it. She takes, I saw it as a way. She, she I saw it as her being completely depressed. She has nothing to live for now. And this man as according to her advisor, committed treason. Therefore, he must be killed. You can but, see the way that the writers were trying to justify her not trusting her advisors anymore because between this and her telling Tyrion that he's basically, you know, done, except for maybe he has one more chance, but I really don't think he does. I, You can see that they're like, well, now she has nobody on her side and she can't trust anybody, so of course she had to burn the village or the, the town. <laughs> well, it, and I just... I, I don't think it was that she doesn't. Yeah, it's she doesn't trust anyone because like the previous people that she had in her life that trusted, like really, she had built those relationships over years. She, you know, at the most, she's known Tyrion for a year, and she has never really warmed to Varys. You know, John also is a new connection in her life. All of her old connections, Missande, Barris and Selmy, Jorah, they're all gone. And that scene where Tyrion confesses to Daenerys about uh, Varys's treason, you know, it's very interesting how Daenerys can she sees it as all the people that were supposedly on my side, John, Varys, Tyrion, uh, to a certain extent, not really Sansa. They're all against me. They're all conspiring against me here, and she she just feels so isolated. After dealing with such a traumatic experience. That's what it was to me that it was her depression and her isolation talking. No, I agree. Paranoia. I agree that that's where it was coming from. I just don't think that what happened, like that literally the events that occurred (laughs) really warranted the reaction. Like she wasn't somebody who seemed to be prone to this kind of reaction. You know what I mean? Like she lost everything on more than one occasion. 
You know? Exactly. And she exactly. has always responded with fire and blood. That has always been. That's the Targaryen family. Uh, I'm siding with Dan on this one. Yeah. I, I agree. Just, fire and blood felt... in the right direction. Well, and, and you know what? But, well, 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 I want to talk about that, Cody, actually. Fire and blood in the right direction. So I got to ask this question. Just I, 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 We haven't even gotten to the scene yet. I know we're still on the Varys thing, but... There's something to be said, I think, for the fact that this season seems to be doing things that people find unpopular or people just don't want to see happen. They're they're going really tragic routes with certain characters. Does that that doesn't mean that it's bad, right? But I think people are confusing it as such. I think killing an entire village of innocents can be objectively considered bad. No, no, like, no it is I, bad, but that is, is but bad storytelling is what I mean. Oh, uh, it depends. I thought Cody was was referring to like morality wise. It was in the correct direction. That's what I meant. That is. Oh, okay. I was thinking. I was thinking more on the subjective level. I mean, it's a little bit of both. But she's in the past. All her rage and you know wrathful actions are, for the most part, (laughs) directed at the people doing the harm. This is not the case. But 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 I don't think that's out of character. I I agree. It's out of character. She's she's already specified that she does not want to harm the innocents. The whole harm no woman or child when she burns the slavers at Astapor. You know, like, she was furious that the High Masters had murdered children. She was upset when her dragon killed a a random kid. You know, like, she has been liberal with killing her enemies, but never unarmed civilians. I And I I think it's worth mentioning also... At least, at least I think this, and and I think at least some of you guys do too, based on the conversations we've had off air. I don't have a problem with her doing that, like, like actually burning the city. I don't have a problem with it in a in a vacuum, but but I don't understand the catalyst for it doesn't feel big enough, and the setup for it didn't feel earned enough. So it just. I, but what, what more do you guys want? Another episode. No, 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 I mean, I mean, no, no, I mean, like, what more could you do or, to or her to push her there? Is what I'm saying. Early season six, like, like, have it. Be but it did in, in season six, in. episode nine, Battle of the Bastards. She tells Tyrion, "My plan for dealing with the slavers revolting against me is I'm going to crucify them all, and anyone that refuses to bend the knee to me, I will have Drogon burn them alive." And Tyrion yeah. says, "I have a better solution," and she goes with th- his advice. But foreshadowing isn't character development. Like, like you can't say that and then and then not mention it again and then twelve episodes later be like, oh, and also that. But that's not just. But I'm but I'm making a case that I'm making a case with this opening voiceover that they have mentioned this throughout the entire show's run. We've just chosen to ignore it. She has she has mentioned it herself. Her first instinct has always been violent and dark and you know showy, um, and. Her advisors have been able to come out of it, but now she is in a position where she feels nothing. For, and for whatever reasons, most of them justified, some of them not, she doesn't trust the people closest to her. So to me, like I don't think this particular thing falls under the it's only foreshadowing it wasn't character development. No, it's just that the character development that there has been has only happened recently because these things all happened in quick succession. I do think that an extra episode, you know, another um, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms in between um, 
the long night and this would have done the storyline some good. Yeah. I, during this episode, you know, push her, push her more authentically into it. Maybe Cersei doesn't surrender and mid battle. She has to make a terrible decision because the situation truly requires it. And she still does something morally repug- repugnant, but it's not Cersei surrenders and she's already just so angry that I'm gonna get I'm, I'm gonna get to that I I because I, I do have I, it may not be a satisfying explanation <laughs> but I do have an explanation hey everyone sorry to interrupt but this is a preview of our full review of Game of Thrones season 8 episode 5 the bells here on the next best series podcast part of the next best picture podcast part of nextbestpicture.com remember this was a preview, so if you want to get the full review, you have to head on over to our Patreon page for $1 minimum a month. Just $1. You can get the rest of this review, all of our other exclusive Patreon podcast reviews, and exciting content for theater, as well as television, and of course, movies as well. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify under the Next Best Picture podcast. Head on over to iTunes if you can also. Rate us and review us. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. We really, really appreciate your feedback as well as your support. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we shall see you all next time. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life. But perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. (laughs) 